certainly good to have you guys tonight. And we are getting ready to start a new book. I want to thank Eldon very, very much for the past three weeks and delivering some chapters out of Revelation. And thank you very much there, Eldon. It's always great to have teachers right in our our congregation, people that can deliver uh, the Word of God. And uh, so many different gifts that everybody has here that just do different things. And thankful for that. That's that's just the power of God working in in us. And uh, as He desires for us to come together, worship Him, and at the same time be edified, be built up. And the book we're turning to tonight is the book of Second Peter. Kind of only follows, doesn't it? After we were in First Peter, and we took a little hiatus for a little bit. I think we had the Spurgeon film, and then I went into a couple of weeks where we did um, um, uh, some Puritan books, a couple of books, and then Eldon did three weeks there. And so now we get back into just a, a regular verse by verse study, and uh, that's what we intend to do, deliver it verse by verse for however long it takes. And thank you, Barb, for getting out the outlines there. I had them back there and forgot about them, didn't I? And I would have forgotten completely about them. And somebody has to take care of me. I have to watch over me. Carolyn knows about that all the time. I'm tired, guys. I thought it was That's right. We'll use the board. <laughs> the old-fashioned. I need I need a blackboard with chalk where I can sound like R.C. Sproul. Everybody was looking down like this. They were following their iPad. Nobody was looking at the teacher. That's where we. That's where it's gotten. <laughs> Everybody in the congregation looking at their iPad. That's right, because if they have it on there, actually, I thought about sending some. Uh, if you guys wanted to outlines on email, and just for that reason, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> they look down. Oh, go like this. <laughs> Either they're looking at something else, or you hope at least the Bible's there, right? You need to be able to run interference when the picture your picture goes up and the Right there. She, and she's not even a kid. We're hoping that's the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Peter um, is one who is concerned about growth of Christians, and he's also concerned about false teaching. That's what he'll have in the second half of this epistle. At least the first chapter will be dealing with uh, the Christians' growth, and and it all is dealing with that. But uh, he is exposing and thwarting and uh, defeating the false teaching because it was happening back at, at his time, and that's in the first century. And it still exists today, doesn't it? And uh, what he has in here is just as current and it works today as it did then. And, of course, that's really how the enemy works. The enemy would like to get in and um, kind of just twist the truth a little bit. And then unknowing people will grab something that's not true of God, and then the next thing you know, they've got a new religion started. Uh, but anyway, this is like, uh, as far as Peter is concerned, it's kind of like a last will and testament. Uh it's definitely in his very last few years. Uh, could be in his last year or so. And he is in prison, uh, at least many writers say. And he is in Rome. That's, they're supposedly saying this, but that's probably what is happening, uh, according to many people. Uh, not to be dogmatic about those kind of things. Sometimes there's conjecture, but there's probably a little bit more than conjecture. But... Uh, he knew that, uh, like in verse 14, for instance, chapter 1, he says, I, in verse 13, he says, I consider, right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, as long as I am in this body, 
to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, my flesh here, is imminent. It's any time. And so he knew that uh, he probably wasn't going to be around much longer, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So uh, he had more than just uh, just a guess. I mean, if if you're in prison, you're probably thinking, well, it could be any time, and it sounds like the Lord just told him. And so he says, I'll be diligent that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. He really has uh, a concern for the body of Christ, and especially to these people who he's writing to, and we'll get to that in a moment. But he wants them to be able to defend against heresies. He wants them to have growth. Whenever he's gone, he's not going to be around, so he wants the the best for them. Uh, This probably is the most graphic and penetrating expose of uh, false teaching of any, any scriptures, or at least it's just as much. Book of Jude is that way too. And it's dealing with uh, denying Christ, uh, twisting Scripture, uh, mocking the second coming, and immoral character. Because when you have false teachers, almost, well, invariably they're going to also have immoral lives. And that's shown up on many occasions in, in our time. But he wants to develop growth. He cares about Christian character. We've definitely seen that in First Peter, didn't we? Very, very practical book. This is to He wants them to be uh, assured of their salvation. And uh, when we get into a few verses later in chapter 1, we'll see that that is a main concern because if you're going to be taking on the enemy and false teaching, you need to be assured of your salvation. You need to know salvation. You need to know the Scriptures. And the origin of scriptures, how we got them, and what he wrote was also from God. As This epistle is going to be much about the knowledge. Knowledge of God. You'll see this word a lot. Um, I think it's mentioned in some form 16 times in this epistle. So he's going to be focusing on that. Uh, and he's not talking about just, and we'll explain it, but he's not just talking about having head knowledge. But we're talking about uh, an intimate knowing Christ knowledge, knowing the Word of God knowledge, knowing what true doctrine is. So we are not lame in the brain, as so goes a lot of the Eastern religions, the cults, or um, some of the uh, Eastern mysticisms and such, which desires you to actually not think. And just open your mind up where anything and everything can just fly in. And um, be open-minded. Well, be open-minded with the truth of the Word of God, right? And uh, so anyway, this is uh, some of the concerns that he has. We know it's written by Peter. Uh, We could spend an hour and a half just trying to prove that Peter wrote that, but I don't think we have to do that with you guys. This this is... uh, this is the Simon Peter that we all know of. Some people said, well, this was a false teacher that came here and did that. Well, <laughs> have you ever known false teaching to expose itself and call itself false teaching? <laughs> but anyway, um, we don't really have to um, do that. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to really take a lot of time on the introduction. I basically set it up there for us. With those, we can have a good handle going in. We spent so many months dealing with First Peter you know who he is and how he writes. Some people said that this wasn't Peter that wrote this because it's different than First Peter and it really reads like Jude. And so therefore, Jude might have written it. But um, I don't think there's any reason at all to doubt that this is uh, Simon Peter we know. Uh, going into the very first verse, uh, the most we're going to get done tonight is four verses and we'll be doing good to get that. Uh, Let's just read this. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness 
through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, those four verses are really packed. Did you guys see all the stuff in there? You could take one little phrase and pretty well spend an hour on it. So, a lot of really good stuff. I mean, really powerful, good doctrine, but practical. And that verse 4 is incredible, and I'm sure some of you have this as one of your favorite verses, partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean that we are God and that we are divine, but we partake of the very nature of God. And so we'll probably try to get into that um, hopefully a little bit deeper. And I don't think it will be this week, though. And if it is, I'm totally unprepared to present that part. Uh, anyway, Simon Peter. Simon is the Hebrew, uh, or Simeon is the Hebrew. Uh, ancient manuscripts, um, they will have Simeon there. It's a common name. Very common for people at that time. And also, we know the 12 tribes. Uh, you have uh, a head of one of the tribes of Israel, Simeon, Simon. Uh, this name was given to this man here from birth, this Simon Peter. And the Greek world had identified uh, Simon uh, and also Peter or Petros. We usually think of him as Peter most of the time, don't we? Or we hear Simon Peter. And so Simon uh, was his name before he met Christ. And then that's kind of an inferior name compared to what Christ gave him. The Rock. Petros is the name. Uh, rock. Solid rock. And we know that he was less than being a rock. Uh, at many times, he was not the rock. Uh, and then whenever he would fail, um, of course, Jesus would address him as what? Simon. Sometimes he'd call him Peter. But other times he would call him Simon, 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 as he said to him three times. So he was so much Simon Peter much of the time. And this is why I think a lot of people identify with Peter. Because we realize that, yeah, we too fail. Sometimes we um, have the foot-in-the-mouth disease, the syndrome that he has always speaking before that uh, maybe he should have said anything. So sometimes he acted like the old self. We can understand that. That's why we can relate to Simon. I think he's a wonderful picture of of all of us. All of us, uh, we can realize that the flesh that we deal with. Uh, so that's that's an identification. Simon, Peter. And then he says, a bond servant. And, uh, of course, that word we're familiar with so much. Paul uses it a lot to introduce himself. That's the word doulos. And that's the lowest form of uh, servant. And really, some of your versions will have servant, a bond servant. And, of course, I think a lot of you are aware that it's even better defined as slave. Because a servant has particular rights and some servants are up higher than others, and they're pretty well like hired, and they make a living. But this uh, is how Simon Peter refers to himself as the slave. A slave. Paul says that. That means that puts him into submission. It puts him into a place of duty. Puts him to a place of obedience. Definitely humility. And he realizes when he uses that word, that's where that is. That puts him on the level with all other believers. Because we're all slaves, aren't we? 
I'm glad. I'm, I am glad I am a slave of Christ. For once I was a slave of Satan, sin, the world, flesh. But now I'm a slave of Christ. Romans 6 talks about that. Either Everybody's going to serve somebody, right? You're going to serve the devil or you're going to serve Christ. And uh, so there's nothing wrong with being called a slave, is there? That's a good term. I really like that. I really do. Because that, that puts us in a position. Well, what we're saying is we're at the disposal of God. He can use me any way that He wants. Then, He comes back and then kind of levels the table a little bit here and calls himself an apostle. Apostolos. So if you're reading a Greek Bible, if you have one right with you, like Barb is right back there, right? You're reading uh, you're reading the Greek text, right? I have my internet. <laughs> okay. <I'm> sorry. Okay. <laughs> the reason I do that, I'm not trying to be fancy, but it gets it defined maybe a little bit more. And some of you like to just kind of do word studies. And so, really easy to get. Apostolos, we get the word apostle, and it means to one who is sent, um, sent officially. And this brings in the dignity. Yeah, Barb. Um. Before you get too far into the apostle on the doula part, um, a doula in the medical field works with a midwife, and it takes care of the laboring mother's just personal needs, helps wash her face, and things that we consider lowly, lowly. to do. And I just find that kind of interesting. That I bet it's very much related. It probably comes right out of the Greek. I'm sure it does. Yeah. So they do the the things that the the other other ones wouldn't do. Personal care. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Even if it's just you know putting a wet washcloth on his forehead or just tending to other personal needs and stuff like that, so the midwife can deliver the baby. Good insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thought. You may have mentioned this. Actually, becoming a slave of Christ actually frees you. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of like a paradox. It is. What's that? A willing bond servant. To become a willing bond yeah. servant. Yeah. yeah, right. And it, that, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that doesn't sound correct in our well, vernacular today. We but it, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we sure do. We're, we're free to serve. Yeah. A free slave. He sets us free, right? You shall know the truth and it will set you free. Sets us free. That's in the, that's in the book of John, isn't it? It reminds me of the uh, the slave in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Law that, you know, if, if, when it came time for him to be free, he could be free, but if he wanted to stay, he could say, I want to stay with my master have the whole board in his ear, you know, and he's a slave for the rest of his life. And that's the equivalent to what you see in, in the, the Hebrew language, and that's exactly what, what it is. And from there on, the rest of his life. And there's your willing slave. Right. Yeah. So, you know, those are words that we run into a lot. We see them throughout Paul's epistles. And, of course, Peter, this doesn't sound like anything different. But it's kind of interesting to think on, isn't Every word. You know, as we go through verse by verse and you pick it apart and each word, you get understanding a little bit more and you go, oh boy, that, that really means something, you know, so we don't fly through it too quickly. And uh, of course, the word uh, apostle, uh, it's a unique office in the sense that uh, it kind of sets them apart from all other believers in this sense. We're all equal with him as being slaves. Uh, and he's simply a man. He's, you know, but there is an office that God gave, and of course we think of these particular ones who were spokesmen for Christ. Who many of them gave us the New Testament. We have prophets, we have apostles, and of course they laid down the Word of God. And we think of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's what we stand on, isn't it? And those are particular people that God used. He inspired them to write. They and of course in Second Peter we'll run into a text that deals with kind of how we got our Bible. We might 
spend a week on on that. Uh, Peter is saying that his writings are equal to to Scripture as well as Paul. And Paul wrote some pretty weighty things. It was hard for Peter to understand. Uh, That's pretty good, isn't it? Peter the Apostle. But anyway, he was uh, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. That was definitely a qualification. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 says an apostle has, has to do signs and wonders and miracles. That's another sign. Yeah, and uh, so uh, we know that uh, these guys were very important in laying down the foundation of uh, the truth that we have. So he spoke officially, and he was officially sent forth. So a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. There is what the Bible is about. In Genesis, you see Jesus Christ. Exodus, Leviticus. Just go right on through the Old Testament, march right through the New Testament, all the way into Revelation. The revelation of who? Right? As we looked at, Eldon was talking about Jesus Christ. That's what the book is about. That's what Peter is writing about. Jesus Christ. So you'll you'll see that sometimes. So well, of course it's about Jesus Christ. You know, like a little kid. You know, you say, well, um, you ask them any question, what will they say? God or Jesus? You know, because they know that's the right answer. You, you can't go wrong with that, right? But that's that's what we focus on. That's who we focus on. Now we get into um, another part here. Um, we're we're on section number one. God gives faith. Well, here's where this comes in. To those, now Simon Peter is the writer here, and that's the way that letters ought to be. They ought to start off with who wrote it. You hate to go through all these pages of paper and look down at the bottom. At the very end, you find out who's writing it, right? First thing you're going to do is, well, who wrote this? You know, Well, the epistles have the writer right up front. I'm glad of that. Have that identified. And now he tells who he's writing to. Well, who are they? To those who have received a faith the same kind as ours. To those. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? Well, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. And I would venture to say, of course, for one thing, I think it's safe to say, in one sense, he's writing to us, isn't he? But directly, who did he write to? Well, in 1 Peter, he names who he wrote to. And he didn't call them slaves at that time. He called them aliens. You think of those movies and science fiction that comes out, you know? Anyway, these are talking about the ones who are foreigners. They're scattered throughout. And he names Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Does that sound familiar? That's a great text. You know what? Peter believed in predestination. Would you believe that? Peter believed in the chosen. Peter believed in elect, foreknowledge. He wrote about it. This book is inspired. There must be something to it. Well, Paul wrote about it too. John wrote about it too. Jesus talked about it too. And then if we go in the Old Testament, we can run through there too. But um, who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to the chosen, the elect. And I think it definitely would be some of these same people here, um, we can surely say that that would be modern. What we know as modern Turkey today, anyway, it's all in that area: Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Uh, so he's writing to uh, some of those people, and it's probably very close in time to his first epistle. We don't know. Nobody knows. Um, probably somewhere in the 60s. And I think we know that Peter was a martyr. We know that he, a tradition says that he was crucified upside down. Nero was the emperor at the time when Peter uh, was killed. And that, let's see, that takes us up to 68 A.D. So it's before 68 A.D. Could be in 67, 66, 65, 64, 63. 
I think the first epistle was somewhere around 62 A.D. Could have been within the next year or two or three. We don't. It doesn't matter. Now we got it pretty well bent down. We know when this was written, though. We know what decade it was written in. And so, you know, not too many disagree on any of that. So there's not a big deal with that. Um, but at, at any rate, he was facing death. And he knew that his earthly dwelling, that time was imminent, that was coming to a close. And he wanted his people to face... He not only has written about persecution, and of course, he is an example of a martyr. He was a martyr. And so Paul wrote that, or Peter wrote that. You'll probably hear me many times call Peter Paul. Have to rob from... Peter to pay Paul. I don't know how that goes. Um, anyway, um, he's concerned about the persecution. We've talked about that a lot. He's he's really concerned also about false teaching. And it's, they're kind of joined together, I guess, in a way. In some ways, I guess. But anyway, he begins where he began in his first epistle. And it's about the defense of salvation. And this is all about salvation. It's all about Jesus Christ here. And he says, to those who have received a faith that's like everybody else. Let's get into that word received. Received the faith. We receive Jesus Christ, right? We receive Him by faith. I think, I think we can say that. And I think most Christians would say that. And where they, what, where many would differ though is what that word "receive" means. Bart. When you were reading that, and you came to that particular word, and I looked in what I have in ESV, the ESV has a mm-hmm. uh-huh. To me, that's two completely different connotations there. Actually, it's not bad. Really? Yeah. To me, obtain makes it sound more like you worked for it as opposed to just receiving it freely. I think of that question, though. Some people have to work at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can. Well, the reason I say it's it's pretty close is because uh, in the the Greek word means to obtain by lot. Now, you put that together with that and say, well, what does that mean? You remember when they cast lots in the Old Testament? You'll see that. But we're talking about the casting of lots when God would get a message to the people or to the priests, let's say, and they would get it clearly revealed to them without question. Okay, you remember they would it would be by lot. You know, we don't have that kind of way. You know, we're not talking about casting. You know, the uh, what? What is that? Dice and such. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's given by an allotment. It's given by an allot. Everybody is allotted this. Well, I was heard obtain used like as an inheritance. Obtain an inheritance. Yeah, you know, I'm saying which would be the same thing. Right. And right, and, and it's not attained or obtained by personal effort. That's what that word means there. Now we're getting, so that's why sometimes we have to go back to the original text, or as much as we can get to original. I mean, go back to that language sometimes, and it makes it maybe a little more clear. Uh, our English Bibles are really good, though, and. Uh, of course, it depends on what slant that you have when you come in reading the Bible. Rather than reading into the text, we want to take out. We want to exegete. Ex means out. We want to take out of Scripture what's being said, right? And so it's it's not being obtained or attained by personal skill or by some kind of personal effort, but... That's exactly where... You said it just as simple. Matter of fact, we could stop right there and say, okay, let's move to the next one. Because that's really where I'm trying to get. (laughs) And I'm going around a long way. (laughs) Here we have somebody who's just been reading the Bible for the last, what, few months. 
And she just stated where I'm really trying to get at. But I'm trying to prove why that is, though. Thank you. That's <laughs> What's that? What did she say? I didn't hear. Go ahead. What did you say, Lord? By the faith that God gave us. It's, it's the only way that we have it yeah. is by the faith that he yeah. gave And I, I guess just because in English, received is passive and obtained is active. It might be why it... Obtained can be passive. Rub me the wrong way. Well, I still way. agree with obtained because without yeah. it kind of, kind of, this connotation is more active. Yeah. Without the requirement of the faith that he gave us, then we don't have it. Yeah. It's uh it's 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 given by him. It's not attained by any kind of personal worthiness. We're we're getting into the depth of what this word means, you know, whether it be received or whether it be obtained. It might be some other translations on that. Do you see any Johnny, what do you have there? Received. Received. Okay. Most of them are probably gonna have received. Um but it's something are you ready for this? That comes purely from God. <laughs> I mean, and and with, with that context, now I'm putting it in. It means God controlled the giving of it. It's put out by um, clearly re- revealing, like putting out the lots. This it's from Him, um, given by an allotment. We didn't have anything to do with getting that faith, and that's how we now have a channel to God. Yes. Because we were dead, mm-hmm. underline that word, dead in our sins. Dead men can't, don't have any power to resurrect themselves. And in that sense, when we're dead in our sins, we have no power because we're dead in our sins. Exactly. I underline the word dead. I emphasize the word dead. Yeah, how dead is dead? Yeah. <laughs> dead is dead. <laughs> and only God can... Can only God give someone life to bring you the life? Exactly. How else? That's well. That's that's very well said. Uh, turn to Acts chapter one, verse seventeen. So we're just taking this apart. We go. You know, we're not even trying to force the text, but this is what the meaning of that is. But. In Acts chapter 1, verse 17, uh, this is Matthias, and he was the, t- uh, after Judas had committed suicide, they needed a twelfth apostle, and so they came up with a way to try to choose him. Says, For Matthias was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. He didn't do anything to get in. Now, there were certain qualifications. You had to see the risen Lord and, and such, right? And of course, some of that's going to be told about here. But uh, um, among all the ones out of the hundreds that had experienced that, 500 plus, um, he received his share in the ministry. It wasn't that he was good enough to do that and some kind of effort that he did or some kind of personal skill he received it solely by the fact that uh, he was chosen to be the apostle, just like all the other apostles were too. So that's kind of the, the meaning of that. God willed to give it to them. So, the Peter passage is going along with what we see in the first chapter of First Peter. When he talks about the chosen by the foreknowledge of God, foreknowledge being a relationship, not foreseeing per se, although he can do that, he does do that, but it's a relationship. Uh, in Second Peter, he's going to show kind of the subjective fact of faith. It is faith, and we're, we're only righteous by faith. We're declared just by faith, but the faith is what's given to us. So we receive that gift. And somebody would say, yeah, but you have to take it. It's there, but you can take it or reject it. But it's irresistible. The ones he's chosen are not going to resist that. Anyway, uh, that word faith. Received a faith. Salvation is by faith. And we know the faith is from God. Salvation is from God. And so Peter is saying, salvation is by faith. Faith comes from God. God initiates 
all of this. That's what Peter's writing right here in the first few verses. Saving faith is from God. To faith. As a human being, everybody practices faith all day long. You you have faith uh, when you go into a restaurant and you haven't been into the kitchen and met some of the people have, who are cooking the food that you're going to actually put in your mouth and digest. Or you have faith when you get in the car that uh, it will start. Mine didn't start tonight. It's over there at work. <laughs> but usually it does the trick. Or if you're on a plane, you may not have ever met that pilot. may not ever see the guy. But you're placing a lot of faith in that plane and that man who is carrying a hundred people up in the air. We just we practice faith all day long, don't we? Now that's a human faith. But Peter is talking about this kind of faith that comes from God to believe and trust in Him to those who are chosen. So we have a sense... The first epistle is talking about the chosen. In the second epistle, he's talking about the people who received faith. They're kind of different, but really they unite together, don't they? And there is a thing called evangelism and the sovereignty of God. We still bring the gospel out. We are to call everybody into the kingdom. It's only God who's going to bring them. Um, uh, You can also think of you know how we how we live our life. Um, we know that we we choose to make uh, in our sanctification to be obedient and such. So you know, there's a part where there is the part that I do, but it's always by His power and what He's given us. That's right. And that's yeah, that's the part of the faith and and uh, matter of fact, knowledge of Him. We have to have knowledge. We have to use our brains to do that. I think that's what um, uh, you were talking about there. Uh, Because there is a sense of it may take months. It may take a long time for one to think it through. All the time, all the same time from God's viewpoint, He's just drawing them to Him as He uses many different situations. But we're still using our brains to think it through and ponder upon these things of God. But those those two go together, don't they? And they they never are enemies. They they work together. Um, we know the Ephesians two eight and nine. Here's where this faith is a gift. Ephesians two eight and nine. It's, it's how often do we go there? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. It comes from God. It's not from any works, as he says. There's nothing we can boast about, as he says there. In Philippians 1.29, we use that many times. And again, it's talking about faith being granted to us. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, to have faith in Him. Faith, believe, the same, same word. Same word. He granted not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Anyway grants that, but we're talking about just just faith there. Okay, um, interesting. Received a faith of the same kind. Same kind. Temos. Greek, same kind. Temos. Not trying to get too intricate. Let's just break it down. It's really easy. Timothy. Timothy is dealing with honor, value, precious. Some of you might have that word precious. Do you see that? The faith of the faith of the same kind or that precious faith, who have received a precious faith. Does anybody have that? In the old King James, does anybody have King James tonight? Uh huh. What do you have there? Precious faith. Okay, what's your version? Okay, that's what I thought. And then Audrey has the same thing then. Okay, and that's a good word. As a matter of fact, it means it. But a lot of times when we think of precious, we think of what would you guys think of when you think of precious? Yeah, Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Hey, who did that? Did you do that? You did that pretty good. (laughs) Did you guys hear that? Can I put a mic on you? 
<laughs> Gollum. That's funny. Equal value. Equal in rank. Honor. Position. There are no first-class Christians or second-class Christians. We all have the same faith. Same faith. And if you go to Galatians 3.28, that's really what Paul is saying there too. Uh, go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. 15, 17. Uh, Peter might be writing to a lot of Gentiles in the area where he's at, but there's Jews there scattered there too, and maybe a lot of Jews, a lot of Gentiles. And you know, there were differences between those two groups of people, they thought, and so therefore they, they, they made their own divisions. And he's just saying that the Jews or the Gentiles have the same faith as the other one does. They're all of equal value. There, eleven fifteen says and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as He did upon us at the beginning. And and I remembered the word of the Lord, how He used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as He gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, this is Peter. Peter is convinced about God's grace and then going to the Gentiles. And he says, same gift. The same kind of gift, or in this case, the same faith. If you go to chapter 15, verse 6, the Jerusalem Council, this is the first church council. They have to get together and try to get some agreement upon, uh, first of all, uh, about the Gentiles being in the church. What, uh, What about them? The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. Made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So, they're in it just as well as we are, or vice versa. And so, uh, there's that same kind, same kind of faith. Go back to our Peter now, Peter passage. We all, all have the same faith. It's what God has given us. We're all equal with each other the same kind in that sense. Now, there might be different roles, different gifts that we use, but as far as God is concerned, we are all His children and He loves us in the same way. We tend to think, well, wouldn't wouldn't He like Paul maybe a little better, you know? No. Same kind. Same kind of faith. They just, we all do different things. Same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God. Now, here's the source of our faith. It's God. He's the source of our faith. We've we've said that. Righteousness. Righteousness. Justice is the same thing. To be just is the same to be righteous. God is righteous. Are human beings by their nature righteous? No, not at all. But the very justifying power or righteousness of God is the one who is going to give us the faith to believe. So He gives us faith so we can believe, and then we are saved because God's righteousness is given to us. Like faith is, when you have faith, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 The just, the ones who are declared righteous, will live by faith. Not by Trying to please him by our works, but please. Say put on it instead of given to us. Like uh, placed on us. Like uh, well, let's use the word imputation. That sounds like amputation. Mm-hmm. Imputed. <laughs> How about imputed righteousness? Imputed. Does that sound better? Imputed. 
imputed. That means to yeah to be to be placed upon someone. Uh, it's a banking term. Mm-hmm. To be put into their account. Mm-hmm. And here's where we get into some real doctrinal stuff that I think is great. <laughs> I think of Romans when I think of this stuff. The holiness of God is imputed to man. God is holy. Now, we're talking about righteousness, but see, God is a holy God. We have been made holy, but we are being made holy. That means to be set apart. So when we were declared righteous, we now have holiness. Even though it may not seem like it sometimes, but justification is a one-time happening. It's a one-time event. It doesn't happen again. We're not justified over and over again. Yeah, Laura, you got a question. And this is probably, you know, like my lack of knowledge, but my mind says about we have received all of this by coming to know Him, and by coming to know Him is like I could go to church every Sunday and say I'm a follower of Christ, but there's a big difference between being a follower of Christ who goes to church every Sunday and being a bond servant and mm-hmm. developing that personal relationship. And that's what gives that to me, right? Like heaven. Yeah. You're talking about something real rather than a church goer or having a, well, a head knowledge. Kind of like, right. yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Never mind. Oh, you, you, no, I had a point that's, that, like I knew what I was talking about or I thought I knew it. Oh, you're right on. <laughs> but it was like the, like anybody can go to church and say that, but like for us to grow, I mean, it takes our faith and our ability to be willing to become bond servants, become slaves to Christ, to actually gain the knowledge that we're capable of having. Something. Yeah, yeah, we desire to do that. That's what he's actually telling you. Your position, but then there's your walk. That's what he, yeah. He's sitting there saying that. And if I, I don't mean to interrupt things. No, no, no that, feel free. To to work it, work and like that whole knowledge thing, like I don't know, I was reading some other stuff about the knowledge comes from us being able to have that willingness to have the personal relationship, not just the person that's going to. It's changing your head knowledge to heart knowledge. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think you've kind of dropped down into verse 3 where it talks about through... And I don't even know if you even meant to, but that's what that's that's where it's heading. Talking about life and godliness. See, the print's so small, and so I don't have any reading. That's the next verse. No, you're just working the truth. It's a natural I don't mean to interrupt everybody. Hey, we're here to learn. And if whatever it takes, we are glad... If you have questions or you have some thoughts, and and uh, that's what we're about here. Make it clear. Yes. Could you explain the word imputed a little better? Imputed is something, and it's there. There's a difference between that word imputed and infused. Infused righteousness, and here's where the Reformation came in. Because for a thousand years we were in the Dark Ages, Catholicism ruled and reigned. It basically was the church, although it had many errors and it got worse and worse. And God kept raising up certain people till finally in the 1500s, uh, late 1400s, 1500s, uh, Martin Luther and some of the other crowd then realized that we, the just shall live by faith, infused righteousness is okay it is God's righteousness his work what he did on the cross with Jesus but he infuses it into us because there's something good in here in us and so with a mixture of Jesus righteousness and our own righteousness he infuses it in us now if if we keep up that kind of work we keep our own work see anytime it's dealing with work for salvation it's all God or not the Catholic Church is a works-based righteousness. It's an infused righteousness. This is at the heart of the Gospel. This is the huge difference and a terrible dividing line between Catholicism and Christianity or Protestantism. Imputed righteousness says, 
I don't have any works that I can offer. There's nothing good about me. I am dead. We can go on and on. And he has to count me as righteous even though I myself am not. When Luther discovered that, he was on the way. Because he realized he never had anything to offer. He just couldn't realize how he could get to God's level where he could be pleasing to God because he knew how sinful he was. Well, the righteousness of Christ is placed upon us or put into our account. You, let's say you have a bank account and you have nothing in there. Somebody comes along and puts $100,000 in your name, in your account. That is now yours. You didn't have anything in there. It was drawn out. Nothing there. It's now been imputed to your name. Right. And you didn't do anything to, to earn that. But not even provided the account to put the value in it. That's right. <laughs> Set up the account. You didn't even have an account. We have no account. Right, no account. So did you say you were going to get through Eight o'clock. That was the first Looks like we all made, almost made it through one verse, didn't it? That's a, that was good though. Yeah, way way too much to to hurry, isn't it? It's, we're talking about the righteousness of God. Us being unrighteous. Second Corinthians five twenty one, and, and we're going to close it off here. This Second Corinthians five twenty one, I think, defines that one, doesn't it? I don't have it on the outlines, but I think this says it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's called the great exchange. He took our sin and was placed on Him at the cross. He took His righteousness and put on us. So our sin is gone, given to Him. His righteousness, of course, He is always righteous, but His righteousness has now been given to us too now. And not even deserving it. He took our unrighteousness. Took our unrighteousness. And of course, what happened at the cross? He died there and so did that. Yeah. That last verse there reminds me of something I heard on something was being talked about radio. I'm not sure what it was, but it said he paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been hearing that. It's really good. Says it doesn't. Like that. There's another one I heard too. I can't remember who said it, but it was really gripped me. It was that we. The believer now will never experience death because Christ took that death. Christ is the one who died. We don't die. We we sleep, you know. We and then we're joined with Him. I think it was. Yeah, oh, that was just gripped me. We, we are not going to die. Yeah, we just, We're just move right on. And and he did. He took it all. He took all that. You know, God's wrath. Yeah, I I never thought about that. That we we're not going to die. He's made us alive. Die once, you you know, right? You're born born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once yeah. physically. Yeah. But yeah. physically, that's all that it is. But our, yeah, we keep on yeah. uh, absent from the body and present with but the Lord. The wages of sin is death, but we no longer, because of this righteousness, it's imputed to us in our justification yeah, in Christ. And He took it. He took. He He got. The raw end of the deal, didn't he? Because he took our sins. Positionally, it's gone, right? This isn't like with this, but it's something I've been reading that kind of like it's like a question to me about him taking it all for us. And then, I mean, I I get that, I, I understand all that, but then, you know, like I know, I think like I've been clued in on, you know, what he what he's what my reward is or what the reward he's offering. 
but that doesn't mean I don't still sin or, you know, like, I'm still not free to sin, so then, like, that's, is that considered sin of apostasy or what? Because I don't like that idea at all. Well, the thing is, there is a difference. Well, and of course, what we're in dealing with right in the first few verses here of Peter is there's one thing about salvation or justification, right? That is a one-time thing, and as far as God is concerned, we've been declared righteous. Our sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. But part two is sanctification. And that's living the Christian life. Sin is gone, but in another sense, while we're in these bodies, these instruments that can be righteous or unrighteous, we can use them the wrong way, we battle sin. And so in sanctification, where we are being set apart positionally, there's a thing called position. And that's what salvation is. It's a position. That's what we are declared righteous. But do we do righteous acts all the time? No. Right. Until we are glorified. You're right. But those sins that we do after we are born again are the ones they that were, are freaking me out. Right. <laughs> they were, they were for, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. No, yeah, but Janet can, can explain it a lot better than I can, but they were paid for too at the cross. Right. Mean, all, of our, all of our sins. It's all, right, I mean, he already knows like what I'm, you know, like that I'm, what I'm going to do as far as sin-wise, but, but they were as far as like a new believer, not even relearning or, you know, increasing my knowledge, you know, that's something that makes you think. So. Well, let me tell you, I, I gave my testimony in January. I struggled for 30 years with being afraid that I had apostatized and I couldn't be forgiven. And it was when I saw that when, when, you, when you are saved, you are saved forever. There's no being lost. You, like you can't lose forever. your salvation. Right. 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 And that, that is what rescued me out of that horrible pit that I was in for so long. I'm sure I knew my own personal Bible lesson here. Because it doesn't mean we're not going to sin again because we can't do it. Right, right. I mean, and, and, and that's, you know, like the ongoing revolving circle in my head that was about to make me, like, I think the things that you do now, before when you sin, you may not have known it in that care. Now when you do it, you know it right away. That's where we have to remember. No, I, we have the spirit. Look, that's my. I'm, I'm big in power. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? I'm there. Yeah. I was going to tell you what Mom said. Debbie's a foreign exchange student. It was really funny because I was reading some of his stuff and I was translating it because you can translate it underneath. And um, he said, and I don't know what the other ones were saying because their context is so out of place, but he implies that um, our God was only for. America. We had a different guy than you again. And I thought, Ed got a hold of him one night. <laughs> and I think before you Good go, guy. you have a whole different attitude. God will use Ed on him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ed will make it. Ed won't him haul around. He'll, oh, he will give truth. Yes, and I think will. that, you know, God's yeah. instrument is the finger of all. Yeah. Well, yeah. When, and when he goes back, I think that, you know, he can be talking to friends that he does because he's the younger generation. And it's great. Who knows what God's going to do in that situation? Keep us uh, on breast of this, would you? Yeah, I will. Be nice to hear some reports as we go along. Yeah, Matter of fact, uh, explain to him once again. He's exchanged from, he's a, the, uh, he, he's a Muslim. Muslim, okay. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's not too far from. He's not too far from. Yeah, he's not too far from Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, yeah, Debbie, when he got there, because there is no place for him to go pray, you know, like, what do they call it? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't have any in that area. So Debbie had to make sure she set aside a room in her house, which is his room. I thought that they just had to, like, even if they didn't have, like, their own place to worship, that they 
were allowed to as long as they were facing a certain direction and at different yes. times of the day. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have to be like in solitude. Well, for, 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 them, for them because he he doesn't have to do it at school. And so oh, I see. Can, yeah. He can come home and, and do it yeah. at the house. But he, 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 he really deserves a place of solitude to work. He has been going to church for them too, though. And they are, and they are, they are a Christian family, so he's getting a whole different perspective. That's that's amazing. That is amazing. That he would go, that he's at that house. What, I mean, that this is missionary work right here in our own country. They're coming to us. He corrupted you over there. Your cases are um, different. Yes. I don't know. They're really, really different. They don't have any real big beliefs. And she's had a few kids from um, Germany and one from Paris. And I think she really helped in their lives, yeah. too. It's really hard for them. Well, the importance of it isn't like it should be anymore. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's really good. So that's uh, mission work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to... This is salvation is position. That's that's what's been done. Sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. Still in the bodies. This is our practice, though. This is where we're at right now. As far as our position, it's in the heavenlies. We're there, there forever, for eternity. But our practice right now, we want to practice the things that reflect a holy God as He's setting us apart. Sanctification. So justification, sanctification. Same thing as position, practice. You can kind of remember those terms because they, they're alike in a lot of ways, but in other words, we must be able to delineate the difference though because this is where a lot of people get hung up and mix the two together. One time happening, this is an ongoing thing. Sanctification is ongoing. Justification has already happened if we've been declared righteous by God, if we believe in Him, if He's given us the faith and we trust in Him and we desire to do the things of Him. That's a mark of a Christian. And we'll see those things as we develop in the first chapter about, you know, you guys were talking about um, assurance of salvation and such. This is what this is all built on and character, uh, how a Christian lives and having knowledge. My, we did one verse tonight and it, it is just filled with so much good stuff here. Just one comment about the practice of sanctification. That's and that's intended. Christ intends us to do that with one another. You know, as a you know, it's not in a in a void or in a vacuum. Or you know, we're not Lone Ranger Christians, but it's meant to. Right, I've been reading a lot about it. I mean, you still have your personal walk and prayer and. The things that you do with the Lord. Yourself, but you're not supposed to be doing it by yourself. Right. Right. We need each other. Yeah. We, we depend mm-hmm. on each other. We build each other up. But you all are so different, though. I'm different By the grace of God. <laughs> We're all kind of different from the rest of the world. Only yeah, because God's done that. Yeah, you're warm and inviting and, and the kind of kind of Christian that, that I thought a Christian was, you know, but my idea is what it was. Look, then there are some people out there on the street that would may not necessarily think we're that really cool. So, <laughs> But thank you. Oh, well, no, of course not. But, you know, that's... Awesome. I have some of my friends that I thought were Christians. I mean, they talk like they're Christians and everything. And I was telling him this morning... And I was looking at Facebook, and one of them says something about liking Joe Olstein, and I'm thinking, oh, no. what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't honestly really like him. And then I went on to the site where they had been looking at it, and I thought it was actually pretty disgusting. He's got a lot of quotes that are just staggeringly unbelievable, so as he's been on Larry life, King and such. The prosperous life, mm-hmm. that's what he said. And he he denies the fact sometimes that Jesus is really the only way whenever he gets backed into a corner and uh, he has opportunities to stand for Christ. And um, he says, well, there are other ways. That uh, is, uh, there's no excuse for any Christian to say that. That's uh, that's some of the things that, that Peter had to deal with there too. Yeah. Those same kind of things. They're going to, and their preachers aren't preaching that. I mean, one of the most preachers that we had up there, um, 
breath. <laughs> and for them to even say they like him after listening to Rick all the time, I, just, I didn't understand it. Well, there's a lot of popular people out there, uh, TV, radio. And, and a lot uh, of people don't catch the, the falseness in Andrew's teaching. They hear just the nice, sweet, gentle voice. They hear the rainbow. The sweet, gentle man, <laughs> the kindness, the, the, the ready smile, and all that kind of stuff. And like Lord just said, this is one of the sermons. And uh, I think you just take them in. Don't really realize what's there. Don't really realize people are so 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 not capable or, or so like a like of knowledge that they're willing to believe in anything if they can see that their life's getting better, but they're just not guided in the right direction. They're misguided, I think. That's what Peter was really concerned about. Mm-hmm. He saw this coming down the pike; it was already there. I mean, especially uh, in today's days and age, people are so desperate for any kind of comfort or security, or and because. People aren't, like, my plane of existence in society, people don't go, like I said, people don't go to marriage retreats or, you know, like, people don't people don't care about each other, but there are people like that. You just don't, you know, people aren't guided because people aren't willing to evangelize anymore and give it to everybody. Or, I don't know, maybe they don't listen. But you, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Sure do. Oh, I don't have to. Sure die. do. <laughs> <laughs> when nope. you figure it out, why don't you tell me? <laughs> no, that's right on. I mean, I oh, just yeah. think that people just get so many, so much false teachings because people are not spreading the word. I mean, it should be everywhere. It should be in the right space every time they turn around the corner. That's what we think. <laughs> that's the way it ought well, to be. I'm just a new Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stay that way. Stay that way. Barb, yeah. you, you have something? Back there? But he wrote a good book called Christianity in Crisis, and he tells you who all the false teachers are right now and what their story is. And then he wrote another version of Christianity in Crisis, 21st century, where it has the Joel Osteen's and the people like that, and who they are. You know. And he taught me to know who not to listen to. And well, you know, I don't know. It's like he's turning it off for me. You know, there's people that that can come on, and I just can't even. I mean, I hear the noise, but it's like doesn't even touch any kind of any kind of any kind of receptors in my brain at all. It's Charlie Brown's teacher.